I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to run some rapid testing on a startup idea a friend of mine had a few weeks back. We pushed on it and pulled on it like a piece of taffy, and this episode is the story of where he ended up. I love doing episodes like this. If you've been a listener for a while, you're going to recognize some of the methods and frameworks we're going to use today. The goal is to make them feel approachable and familiar, to give you reps, even if those reps are vicarious. My hope is that 10 or 15 or 100 of you listen to this episode and say, you know what, that direct-to-consumer protein shake idea I've got, 50 Shades of Whey, I'm going to test that thing out instead of just texting people the name. In fairness, it is a great name. But we're getting off topic, and we've got a lot of story to get through. So let's start at the beginning. And by the way, my friend gave us the okay to tell this story. It was sometime in mid-December. The kiddo was due any minute and I was keeping busy by organizing things in the pantry because I thought maybe switching the placement of the lentils and the beans would be the thing that kept us sane once he showed up. Editor's note, it wasn't. Anyway, I was working off my nervous energy when an email from a good friend showed up. The subject line said, quote, I have an idea and I'm quitting my job to pursue it. The body of the email just said three words, call me now. This friend is very successful and apparently very dramatic. And, I thought, happy with his career. He's an executive coach. He busted his ass for years to get a bunch of clients, mostly C-suite folks at banks and consulting firms, and now he was finally benefiting from all that hard work. Consistent, high-paying clients, little or no churn, a good life, or so I thought. I was intrigued, and I called him immediately. He answered and said, I'm quitting my job. And before I could say anything else, he continued. And here is why. The coaching industry is about to change. More accurately, the coaching market is about to 10x in size. Okay, I said, tell me more. He leapt into story mode. Here is how all of my coaching engagements go. First, I bust my ass through a long sales cycle. But once I win a client, the actual coaching begins. Most clients start with a six-month package. During those six months, we'll meet weekly or maybe twice a month. I charge between $20,000 and $40,000 for those first six months. This is paid by the company, so these have to be heavy hitters, almost always C-suite folks. Here is how those coaching sessions always go. The first session is a long one. My goal is to find the blockers. Everyone has blockers, and I think of myself as a paleontologist, digging around in the desert that is their past, trying to uncover the bones, figure out what's buried there. Then I find how their past impacts the person sitting across from me. How do their experiences impact their decisions, management style, their goals, their ethics? What is actually motivating them? How do they feel? And finally, what is blocking them from reaching their potential? This all is an absolute blast. This is why I do what I do and I am great at it. Everyone is a puzzle and I've got a bag full of tactics to figure them out. It's also incredibly challenging. It requires me to be fully present and empathetic. No one comes right out and says, I'm searching for my father's approval. I laughed a bit. He told me that joke before, but it still landed. He continued. After the first session, I give my customer homework based on my hunches about their blockers, things that they have to journal on. 
The second session is going through that journal to see if I was right. After the second session, I give them more homework, but it's a little bit different this time. This homework is work-related. If, for example, there's an employee that they need to have a serious talk with but have been putting it off for some reason, the homework might be to have that talk before our third session. Then the third session is breaking down how it felt to do that hard thing, and often their excuses for having still not done it. By that point, I've got a pretty good sense of what the person needs. We all think that we're unique, but there are only like 15 types of people. So the fourth through thousandth session are just executing on an established playbook, repetition, reflection, and upkeep, rinse and repeat. Exercises to get them to once again recognize what they need to do and why they're avoiding it, a little bit of accountability to make sure they do it, and sometimes a kick in the ass. It can take a really long time for these changes to sink in. The walls have often been up for decades, so the meetings are actually really important. But there's nothing new that I say after generously the fifth meeting. If I charge $40,000 for six months, I'm pretty sure that I earn $39,000 of that in the first three sessions. The rest could be done by an admin at 50 bucks a pop, saying things like, did you do the thing we both know you need to do but is uncomfortable? If not, here's an exercise to help you push through it. I sat there taking it all in. He took my brief silence as a chance to continue. Think about it like a surgeon, he said. You tear your Achilles. You go and meet a great doctor. They diagnose it. They do the surgery. Then they hand you off to a physical therapist for five months to recover. Coaching right now is like if the surgeon sat and watched you do calf raises for five months after the surgery at $1,000 an hour. Interesting. Okay, I said, but that's not a new problem. Coaching has always been like this and you actively chose it and pursued it anyway. What has changed? Well, that is where it gets exciting, he said. You always say on your podcast, the three big questions for a startup founder are why you, why now, and why at all. Well, the why now has changed because of ChatGPT. Note for those who haven't heard, ChatGPT is an AI tool that launched relatively recently that can do things like write full essays from simple prompts. That's probably what you've heard about it for. People freaking out that kids are just going to cheat on their essays now, but it does lots of other things too. Back to my friend. ChatGPT, he said, can be the trainer. It can ask the follow-up questions. It can be the admin. Maybe, I said skeptically, but would a CEO want to interact with it? No, of course not, he said, and that is why I'm quitting. And he got really excited. The holy grail for coaches is scale. We can never scale because the business only makes sense with high-paying clients because of the super long sales cycle and the face time needed with those customers. So the only people who get coached are C-suite people. But the people who really need coaching are the mid-tier folks. They have the biggest potential delta, but that business case has never made sense. Now I can go in there for two sessions with somebody, diagnose them, then give them a training plan and have it executed weekly by ChatGPT. It'll keep them on track, deliver them exercises, all the stuff that's a commodity, the surgeon and the physical therapist model, but the PT is an app. I can onboard a hundred new customers a month and get them on a SaaS plan. I do what makes me unique. Then I set up ChatGPT to do the rest. So he said excitedly, what do you think? I paused for a second, taking it all in. Once again, he filled the air. The reason I'm quitting is we've got to do this fast. 
Anyone can use ChatGPT to create a coaching program for middle managers and non-C-suite folks in general. We need to start this now before someone else does. I need to know if you know any developers that can spin up a ChatGPT app for middle market people that need coaching stat. I stayed quiet. Right? He said. Right? We'll see. After, a little smooth jazz. Hey, we've got a few slots opening up for Tacklebox where we help people turn ideas into startups as a few of our founders have now outgrown the core program as their businesses have scaled a bit. So if you've got an idea you've been sitting on and you want to turn it into a startup, let's do it. And to sweeten it a bit more and maybe kick you in the butt a bit, if you apply in the next two weeks and get accepted, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just head to gettacklebox.com and apply with what you're working on and put code HOLIDAY in the application when it asks for a referral code. Back to it. Whisper ideas and non-negotiables. The OG listeners might have diagnosed my friend's tone at the end of the call as being dangerously close to whisper idea E. For those that don't know, whisper ideas are your mortal enemy. The term came to me back in 2015 when I was doing interviews for Tacklebox and Think Coffee on 4th Ave, a top seven coffee shop in New York City. Full rankings in another episode. Anyway, I started realizing there were two types of entrepreneurs. The first thought that speed to market was the key because their differentiator was simply that they'd noticed this opportunity before anyone else had, so they had to fly. These people would lean across the table when telling me their idea. They would get close, they would look both ways, and then they would whisper, I'm working on a dating app for people with dogs, or whatever. Then they'd look to see if anybody nearby had heard. In their minds, literally anyone who had ears would be just as likely to start this idea as them. So they whispered. The other type of founder had what I call a rooftop idea. They'd walk in and happily tell me what they were up to. They'd shout it from the rooftops if I asked. Because they were inherently more qualified to start this thing than anyone else was. Sure, someone might have heard about their idea to build out a financial tool for restaurant owners with 5 to 15 locations, but had they also started and scaled 5 restaurants to 10 locations each, they couldn't dream of understanding what the customer needed like the founder did. So they shouted. This founder had earned their idea. Now, urgency is definitely useful. If something changed in the world and it made an opportunity possible today when it wasn't a year or two ago, that is great and you should think about it. But your differentiator should never be before someone else does it. It should be because no one else can do it. Which means we need to lean into your Venn diagram, the stuff you know, the networks you're a part of, the skills you have, the unique center. And if it feels like you might have a whisper idea, if you wouldn't be comfortable telling everyone in a coffee shop exactly what you're up to, that is fine. Nearly all ideas start that way, particularly from first-time entrepreneurs. It just means you've got to dig deeper, get tighter on customer, find your unique perspective, or maybe earn an insight. The holy grail is an idea that feels like you've been subconsciously preparing to start it for years. That's what we want to get towards. A quick helpful identifier. Whisper ideas tend to be product-led. A dating app for people with dogs. Chat GPT for coaching. Rooftop ideas are customer and problem-led. Scaling a restaurant to 10 locations is hard, but we've done it and built something that can help you do it too. Since our coaching friend was starting with some serious whisper vibes, we had to take a step back. We needed to think about the five things an idea needs to have to be worth your time. The non-negotiables. Here they are. First, a customer with a bleeding neck problem. And no, I will not stop using that term. It is too good. 
A problem that is one or a few of urgent, frequent, painful, growing, and expensive. A problem the customer can quantify and wrap their arms around. A problem the customer is acutely aware of and already trying to solve. This is how you'll know the customer will be open to trying something new to solve it. Second, a customer that is reachable and convertible by you, ideally through niche and expensive channels. There are two important parts here. First, that you know where your customers are, ideally in a place that other people won't look. And second, that you can say something that builds enough trust for them to give you an email or hop on a call or click buy. This is how you will get your very first customers. Third, a customer that speaks about the problem you're solving a lot, ideally to other potential customers. This is how you're going to grow. Fourth, a customer that is willing, able, and happy to overpay you to solve this problem for them. This is how you'll know you can build a functioning business. And fifth, a customer that'll catalyze growth if you start with them. They're influential to adjacent segments, they're visible, or you can grow alongside them. Obviously, you won't show up with all five of these things on day one, and you're going to still need to figure out how to build a product that'll help this customer get somewhere they want to go. But the point is that your earliest days shouldn't be focused on how to make chat GPT ask follow-up questions from a coaching database. They need to be spent finding a customer that meets those criteria because that is actually what's going to catalyze your business. Leveraging your unique insight to get to a customer with those criteria, other people might overlook. So that's where we started. Top of the funnel. Okay, 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 I said. Sure, we can figure out the chat GPT product later. But first, answer a few questions. Who needs this now? My friend lit up. Everyone, literally everyone, would be significantly better at their job if they had coaching. Okay, fine. But who already knows they have a problem that can be solved by coaching and is actively looking for coaching or something else to solve it? He waited a second longer before replying, still, like, lots of people. People search for coaching all the time online. If we just get this in front of people, the same coaching CEOs get for one fiftieth the price, they're going to buy it. I think the hardest shift for non-entrepreneurs moving into the entrepreneurial world is accepting that people don't act rationally, they act emotionally. The reason most startups fail is that they expect people to act rationally. You give people a product that'll objectively help them, and you expect that they'll thank you for it and then buy it, but they're not going to. People can stay irrational way longer than you can stay solvent, which means step one is always finding customers that already believe what we believe. We won't be able to change anyone's mind, even if what we're saying makes sense. You can't convince someone to leave their apartment to go and buy a nice coffee, but if they're already out trying to buy a nice coffee, you can convince them to buy yours instead. Then... They can convince other people who have never tried iced coffee to go and try yours, but you can't skip that first step. The startup graveyard is filled with startups that tried to fundamentally change their first customer's behavior. Okay, but who specifically already believes they need coaching but can't afford it? Maybe think about types of people who have reached out to you and tried to get you to lower your price over the years. Oh, he replied, that's easy. Two types of people always reach out entrepreneurs and CEOs of like 100-person companies. Go on, I said. Sure, so entrepreneurs, usually people really early on, want coaching to make sure they're doing the right stuff. I've done some mentoring for startup founders and we can make serious progress, but they can never pay. I've taken equity a couple times, actually. Those are fun. We create enormous value. Okay, now tell me about the CEOs of those 100-person companies. 
Yeah. So those are usually people I've worked with in the past who now want me to work with their middle managers. These are businesses that are growing fast and are promoting people to manager or building people's teams fast. They might have multiple managers who haven't managed more than one person before, suddenly managing like 15. All right, great, I said. And what do you think the entrepreneurs really want out of coaching? And what do you think those CEOs really want out of you? I'll start with the entrepreneurs, he said. It's pretty straightforward, especially early on. First, they want someone to tell them that they're doing a good job. They've gone from working in a job where their boss said good job to them a bunch of times to a place where they have no boss, but that means that there's never any positive reinforcement. Humans need that. Second, logistically, they just need help prioritizing. They've suddenly got a million things to do and they have no idea what's most important, so they get lost. An outside perspective is incredibly helpful. Another one, they get pretty emotional. This stuff is just lonely. Most of the time, they just want someone to talk to. And the last thing they want, I think, is accountability. So much of entrepreneurship is just doing uncomfortable stuff. It can be really good to have someone holding you to account. Okay, amazing, I said. And what about for the CEOs? This was way easier than with most people. I guess coaches are super empathetic by nature. So, he said, for the CEO, the job was definitely culture. Their companies had often grown by five or seven times in a few years. There's no way to set culture with that pace of hiring and growth. They wanted me to get a consistent, almost playbook for managers to make sure that they could set the culture across all of these new managers. Okay, great. So what is your Venn diagram here? What's your unique insight? He paused for a second, then responded. I guess I've got two. I know what they actually want out of coaching, and I know that 98% of the value from coaching happens in those first two or three sessions. And I know how to deliver that value. And I also know that the upkeep, while absurdly valuable, just doesn't need to be done by that core coach. Assuming the customer is cool with that, of course. And if it saves them on price, I think they're going to be. I think with three sessions and some sort of low-touch follow-up plan, I can dramatically help each of these customers. What do you think the leap is, I asked, where they are now and where you're going to get them and how you might describe it? This one took him a second, but he crushed it. Entrepreneurs will surface their internal ingrained blockers, he said, so that they can prioritize and build to their potential. They'll go from flying blind to someone with a plan that takes into account the way they think and work. Managers, on the other hand, are going to have a consistent operating approach across the company so that they can support way more growth without sacrificing culture. The CEO can set a culture that'll permeate regardless of how big they grow. Amazing, I responded. Let's pitch those things and see if you're right. And before that, maybe run a few more interviews to get a little bit of depth. Brute force and intent tests. Over the next few weeks, I had a baby and my friend ran customer interviews and a couple of tests. For a lot of people, they might say the second one's more stressful. He spoke with a bunch of entrepreneurs, many of whom went through Tacklebox. He also spoke with CEOs of 100 to 250 person companies who'd reached out to him in the past, who he'd coached, or some people who responded to a slew of cold emails and LinkedIn messages he sent out. In cold emails and a few niche newsletters, he pitched entrepreneurs. A great early test is one you can brute force, which usually means you need some foot in the door value, something you can bite off and chew before the full product is built. We talked about productizing the first step a few podcasts ago. This is an example. So my friend pitched entrepreneurs like this, quote, let's surface your internal ingrained blockers that are holding you back from building a company that can grow. We'll start with prioritization. 
two sessions to identify your blockers around specific tasks and create a system to surface and attack the things that'll help you grow. Not my absolute favorite copy, but it worked. North Star Vision, find the internal blockers. Immediate action, create a prioritization system for the million tasks you've got outstanding. It went back to a landing page that had his coaching credentials in a bit more detail. He priced it at 500 bucks for two sessions, plus two months of ongoing personalized weekly accountability prompts, or $300 for just the two sessions. He got seven signups, with six paying the $500. The ongoing accountability was interesting to people, apparently. He is running those sessions now. His thesis is that he can shift ongoing accountability stuff over to ChatGPT at some point and set up some accountability in-person groups with entrepreneurs to tackle the loneliness and reflection problems. Maybe. These are all just hunches. For the CEOs, he pitched a few programs and 1,000 cold emails and LinkedIn messages with the help of a VA he hired over the weekend through Fiverr. He pitched culture, coaching for new managers, accountability. He used a ton of different outcomes. He used a bunch of different iterations of the landing page. He was certain, he said, that something would make people bite, but nothing did. He got literally zero responses. So where does this leave our friend? In the thick of it, in a game of ping pong. You start with a unique insight. You bounce it off customers and in interviews. You take what they tell you, flip it around and test it with a foot in the door product. You brute force that product so you've got a tight feedback loop. Then you decide what to do next. He's mentioned that he likely won't continue on with this customer, the entrepreneurial one. The model relies on him too much and the customer is a bit too price sensitive. They are also, in his words, really lonely. They need a therapist or a friend, not a coach, he said. But he's already got a few other theses that all rely on that unique insight of diagnosis and upkeep. The first group of entrepreneurs are introducing him to founders of bigger companies that see the value and have been looking for a program to get all of their employees coaching. Maybe there's something there. Maybe not. The bigger point, as always, is you'll never know unless you try. Was this test executed perfectly? Of course not. But less than a month after a dramatic email to me saying he was quitting, which he didn't do, he's got seven paying customers running through a beta test. And this might help him shift and shimmy and move to another customer, gaining more insight as he goes. He started focused on a whisper idea, ChatGPT, but realized that the real value was his earned perspective on who needs coaching and how. Maybe ChatGPT becomes part of the product, but the differentiator is what he understands and can uniquely offer the customer, not tech. This wasn't supposed to be a pod episode, but last week a family member was over meeting the little guy and I told that story. He couldn't believe it. He was speechless. Running these tests seemed equivalent to landing on the moon. So, that is why it was an episode. For context, if you've got an idea, even the hint of a unique insight, you can run tests on it. You can do it in a few weeks or a month or two, and maybe it'll push you towards something that works, maybe not. And if not, you can start with something else next month and the month after. The most interesting stuff is just beyond where most people are willing to go. Here's to getting there. This was the Idea to Start Up podcast, and if you want to try this out with some structure and a kick in the pants from me and our other members, head to GetTackleBox.com and apply. We've got the half-off deal going through Sunday, the 22nd at midnight. Use code HOLIDAY on your application. Have a great week.